0: Hey guys, Casey here, before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you know about the official Growing Up Christian Discord server. Uh, this is going to be a really cool spot for us to talk to you guys, get your thoughts on some of the things that we go over in the episodes, share stories, news articles, you name it. It's going to be a much better format than Instagram or Facebook. There's going to be a link in the episode description, as well as in the bio of uh, all of our social media accounts, so definitely give that a follow and enjoy the episode
1: you guys didn't grow up Catholic. It doesn't sound like no, uh, um, but, and, and I didn't We were oh, real yeah. Christians. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, yeah, I'm with you. I, for the longest time, I didn't even think Catholics were real Christians, you know, only to discover that the majority of Christians that ever lived have been Catholic.
0: It's yeah. sad to think about all those people going to hell.
1: Yeah. Isn't that the worst? Um Bummer. Sucks to suck, I guess.
0: Growing Up Christian, I'm Casey, and I'm Sam, and today we have a, a very special guest, very excited about, recording artist and former lead singer of Hawk Nelson, uh, John Steingard. How you doing, John? Well, I'm doing great. What's up, fellas? <laughs> Nothing much. Just been catching up on all my old Hawk Nelson jams. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Which
1: uh, which Hawk Nelson jams are your Hawk Nelson jams? Out of curiosity. Okay, so
0: I was really into uh, Letters from the President, yeah, or Letters to the President, yeah that was kind of like, I feel like that was maybe ninth grade, something like that, around nice. the time that I that, that came out. And uh, my sister, she didn't get into Hawk Nelson. She got into FM Static. Oh, so we had like a rivalry. Oh, yeah. And it was just like trying to drown the other one out the whole time. Did, <laughs> so, uh, you, did
1: you ever notice common themes between FM Static and Hawk Nelson? There's a reason I ask that.
0: Well, I, okay. So I was looking at Wikipedia and it looks like you guys worked together with, uh, what's Trevor, M- Trevor
1: McNeven. Yeah. So, so Trevor, uh, is the lead singer of thousand foot crutch, another, okay. oh, an- yeah. a- another, oh, yeah. another Ontario, uh, you know, band, uh, kind of came up before us and Trevor, Trevor helped, uh, he was really the main writer for the first couple of Hawk Nelson albums and um, so we worked with him really directly and and then and he had a side project FM static and um, but but basically Trevor was just writing insane amounts of music at the time and and needed multiple bands for outlets. <laughs> and so yeah, I guess and, he's pretty
0: prolific then. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, there was a, like a he had his finger on a, on a very particular
0: pulse at a very particular time and uh and was very very good at it. Yeah. Well, Hawk Nelson it was like a the soundtrack to the closest I've ever come to like roadside murder. Oh. <laughs> oh really? I, Yeah, when I was at the beach, or when I was at Liberty, uh, I took these three girls to the beach. So it was like a four and a half hour drive each way.
2: way.
0: (laughs) It was all one pieces, you know, uh, plenty of distance. But uh, the one girl, she was really into, um, what is it, Smile, It's the End of the World? Oh, yeah. Mm, That was our second album, yeah. And specifically the song that's like, all the girls and the boys and people making noise. Bring them out. Dude, every time we got in the truck, she would just instantly like grab the radio and put it on that song. And about the eighth time that we listened to it in the, that day, I was like, I'm, "I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave you right on the side of the road. Like we can't do this anymore." I'm sorry,
1: uh, I contributed to that moment. I'm I'm working through it.
2: <laughs> still, he's still dealing with some of it, but he's getting there.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're all dealing with the trauma, man. Like. <laughs> Like that's, that's what life is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just healing from past scars.
2: You were in, were you, you were in a founding member of Hawk Nelson. Is that correct?
1: I was not. Yeah. So I, I joined the band right as letters to the president was coming out.
0: Okay. Um,
1: So I didn't participate in making that album but i toured it and then i was uh, and then i was a part of every album after that yeah
2: right and then you didn't do end up doing the lead vocals till a little bit later on after was, um,
1: yeah that was 2012 okay. um yeah jason our our first lead singer he left the band he that process started in 2011 and kind of completed in 2012 okay. and and i became the the singer at that time and we did a pretty dramatic uh shift stylistically um which was you know consciously done and, and 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 thought about and uh and i have and i have a lot of uh i have a lot of thoughts and feelings about that in retrospect <laughs> but but they're yeah but uh mostly good and uh yeah so that was that was the general timeline yeah
2: okay um so you guys uh you were you grew up in a youth group and all that kind of stuff right oh
1: yes great so you're yes.
2: familiar with youth group culture and icebreaker games
1: yes very much.
2: Yeah. Uh, did you play uh, two truths and a lie, getting to know each other in small groups?
1: Probably, probably. I think like some of those very specific experiences, I've just blacked out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, so, sure I've, I'm sure. I'm sure I participated in stuff like that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So we um, we put together a game just to you know, kind of test some of your knowledge on worship music uh, and and maybe i'll help us all get to know each other a little bit sure all right this is two truths and a lie featuring over sexualized worship lyrics (laughs) (laughs) um not sure if we're throwing you into some discomfort here but (laughs) no
1: go for it i mean candidly i might i might forget things because um i was while i was in sort of contemporary christian music like ccm yeah for a long time, I was touring almost every weekend. So I just didn't really get plugged in at a church. I didn't I didn't uh hmm. I mean I did I did and I didn't. So I feel like while I was embedded in Christian culture, like very deeply on one level, I also like there was a bunch of things I didn't experience throughout the late, you know, the the late aughts into the early tens, you know, like so, so we'll see. We'll see how I do here. <laughs> All right. So two of these are going to be real worship lyrics, and
2: uh, one of them will be a lie, and it's your job to figure out which one's oh, a lie. I love this. So here we go. Till every drop is gone, I'll pour my love on you. That's one. <laughs> that... uh, uh, okay. Here, number two. Giving it over, giving it over. I was flat on my back. I'd slid till it hurt.
0: And number three that doesn't sound that consensual.
2: <laughs> number three, use my whole self, use my hands, use my mouth. I give myself over to you. Oh well, that last
1: one's definitely real, <laughs> right? Am I right? You get to pick which one's false, my friend. Oh, I got to no, pick the no false one. Here. Okay, um, <laughs> you were hoping think, two of those were definitely false. <laughs> I think the second. I think the second one is false.
2: False. The second one was written by the Newsboys.
1: Are you serious?
2: Yeah, dang! Wow. <laughs> News
1: of, voice. of any of anything, I should know that one. Uh, uh,
2: the third one is actually uh, that's a Sam Shipman original, right there. I could oh, be oh really? own praise and worship. You lyrics. know what's
1: funny is that that was the most believable <laughs> one of the three for me. Yeah.
2: I know I'm, I'm going through these, and I'm like, I can't. I didn't.
1: Everything I came up with wasn't half as bad as what I'm looking at right here. Well, I know it's like, dude when once you see you can't unsee and and <laughs> i i remember hitting a point where i i found myself at a church service like l- watching the lyrics on the screen and being like looking around and just seeing people just enraptured in worship and i don't want to make light of like what is a a really wonderful experience for a lot of people but for me i just wasn't in that mental place and i was looking around looking at the lyrics and being like are you guys seeing what these words are? <laughs> like, like, and I just had this experience because it's like when you grow up in the church and you're raised in the culture, there's certain things that are just incredibly normal to you, right? It's just normal. And then, but, but then every once in a while you might be given this gift of a moment where you see things from an outside point of view and you, you, you have this moment where you're like, Oh, to people that didn't grow up in this culture, this is crazy. This is crazy. <laughs> I know. Imagine, you know. I
2: remember trying to bring my, like, some friends to church or whatever. And, like, looking back on it, I'm like, what were they, like, what were they experiencing when they were there? Because they didn't say anything about it. They were just like, that, that's for you. Yeah. They're
1: like, that's, yeah. Okay. Uh, and well, the, I mean, it, I mean, I don't, you, you guys didn't grow up Catholic. It doesn't sound like. No. Um, uh, but, and, evangelical. and, and I did. We were oh, real yeah. Christians. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, yeah, I'm with you. I, for the longest time, I didn't even think Catholics were real Christians, you know, only to discover that the majority of Christians that ever lived have been Catholic. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and up to 15, you know, up to 500, you know, for the first 1500 years of Christianity, you know, Catholicism and, and Christianity were almost synonymous, you know, you know, in, in, in at least in the West, it was synonymous So, um, it's sad to think about
0: all those people going to hell.
1: Yeah, isn't that the worst? Um, sucks to suck, I guess. Well, but to bring up, (laughs) but to bring up Catholicism, I bring that up because it's like, like the doctrine of transubstantiation. So, Catholics believe, you know, for your listeners who may not know this, Catholics believe that when they take the Eucharist, when they take the, you know, the bread and the wine, um, that it physically literally turns into the body and the blood of Jesus once it goes into your body that it like actually literally changes into that and so you're eating flesh and drinking blood
0: literally yeah. like you're like Jesus your skin's dry dude you
1: <laughs> no you should moisturize uh so, <laughs> so like Catholics believe that is 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 real in general I don't know that every Catholic believes that but that's Catholic doctrine and and uh and so like then you know if you look at say some eastern beliefs some buddhist beliefs so like let's like, like let's say um reincarnation you know and i i grew up believing that that was absolutely absurd yeah you know it was like comical and, you know, yeah and like maybe it is i don't know but but like like we would ridicule that idea absolutely ridicule it because it's so (laughs) absurd and then and then in our own on our own you know in our own yard within christianity we have people believing that they're eating flesh and drinking blood and then that's like holy yeah And, (laughs) and i'm like like we gotta look at ourselves man like people we like when we look at other belief systems there's no way that they're crazier than we are. <laughs> yeah. People in glass houses they need to stop throwing stones from their glass houses here. It's like
2: I, I've been um, there's this guy that has come across my radar um, who's one of those like prophecy guys. Right. Uh, and I okay. know a lot of evangelicals I'm, who take him very seriously. Um, oh, I grew like, up in, in that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Prophecy. Mm hmm. I got a good bit of it, but you know, when people really started specifically being, uh, when people started getting overly specific is when I, I mean, at, at least I feel like I remember people kind of being like, well, I don't know how you can know that, but there's been a shift because all those people, which is mostly like, I mean, even the church that I grew up in or um, a lot of the like baby boomers I know who, who might've been skeptical of those things 10, 15, 20 years ago are now like, they're they're just holding on to this stuff like so tightly so then it's just like Mm. oh the covid vaccine might be the start of the mark of the beast and i'm like when you're just sitting on the outside of that and you're like and the things that we made fun of other people for believing growing up yeah yeah that's
0: a this the conspiracy theory like thread has become pretty synonymous with like hard right evangelicalism and they've been saying stuff like that for years dude i remember I remember them like people talking about how debit cards might be the mark of the beast. Yep. I
1: I actually remember that too. I absolutely do. Uh,
0: Yeah. I mean
1: that stuff, honestly, that stuff breaks my heart because I, I, I feel like I have watched this, this sort of group, this sort of community of people that I grew up in, um, you know, the evangelical church Something that was, I mean, for all the criticisms I have of it, there were things about it that were really like great and a part of a part of the good things in my life and other people. Mm-hmm. Um and I and now I'm experiencing this combination of A, I'm seeing things differently. So even the past I'm seeing differently and going, ooh, there's some there's some sort of problematic stuff there. And it's and also I'm I feel like I'm watching the evangelical church like descend into this craziness this crazy town of like be- believing things that just aren't like just aren't just aren't true and and believing them to their core because there's this pre-existing idea that as life and the world progresses that we're going to experience persecution and so we're looking at everything through that lens everything is a threat Everything should make us afraid for, for as much as the evangelical church preaches, do not fear. It's like they're preaching they're, They, 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 they want to look like they're preaching the solution. They're preaching the problem. They, they, you know, they're selling the problem and the problem is fear, 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 fear. It's almost like a part of it is the
0: fact that like they, they, they kind of picked like these cultural benchmarks that were going to be immovable. You know, and I mean, the first one of those that I that I can think of off the top of my head, that's kind of fallen down and and been reevaluated is like gay marriage. Oh, yeah. That was like a hard no for the evangelical community. And, you know, regardless of like what they thought about it, that's just the direction that culture is inevitably going. So you're either going to fall in line and deal with it or you're just going to get stuck in the past. You know, angry that the world has changed.
1: Yeah, well, and like, so here's here's an interesting thing. I have a friend that b- become a friend recently. Um, her name's Grace Baldridge. She's a queer artist and yes. a music artist. I just
0: listened to your episode on her. She's, yeah, she's so, great.
1: So yeah, we. I just yesterday, as we're as as we're recording this right now, yesterday I released a, a, a podcast episode with her, and she, as a queer music artist, is she released an EP under under the genre of Christian music because the EP is so tied in with her faith. Um, She, she feels that she didn't, she wasn't able to connect with God for herself personally until she embraced uh, her sexuality and her orientation. And, and, uh, and she's, she's saying, Hey, I'm gay. And I also am a Christian and I want to participate in Christian you know, these in Christian circles and Christian music. And what a, like, what bravery that is. Yeah, and I love
2: that. That's such a beautiful story.
1: Yeah, and so I look at that and I go, like, I'm just extrapolating that out into the future. And I'm going, oh boy, like, like, uh, like 50 years from now, 20, I don't know, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now, Christianity will either fully accept the LGBTQ plus community or it will cease to be. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. They'll just have like those weird pockets of it that still exist in places doing their own quiet thing. But they're going to lose any form of cultural influence and impact.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, like the thing I said to my wife last night, we were talking about this. And I was like, I was like, babe, like, like American, American, you know, Americans owning slaves is not coming back, yeah. you know? <laughs> good like thankfully right like to some people's chagrin (laughs) well i mean like i think you know i mean we could talk about nuances there of like what does slavery look like and is there economic slavery we could you know that's a whole other thing but um but like you know we're a part of this progression this progression this movement um this movement in a direction that's good and like one of the people that influences me a lot is dr Steven pinker who writes about Uh, basically, I don't know if you've read him at all, but he, he's a a social scientist and he, he writes about all the ways in which the world is getting better. Oh, that's
0: cool. Yeah. I I know who you're talking about. Rogan talks about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he's remarkable, dude. And he's not, I disagree with him on a few points, but, but largely his point is like, look at the data. Like, like humanity is going somewhere good. Hmm. And that runs counter to the evangelical, uh, worldview.
2: Yeah. Right? yeah. Interestingly enough, because, um, you know, there was a time in Christian history uh, for the majority of it, really. The whole like doom and gloom, apocalyptic ending is a more recent development over the past couple hundred years. Um, and when that when that ideology was first being propagated, uh, which was really not started by, but largely spread. Uh, I think it, it kind of started in like Plymouth Brethren under the uh, teaching of like a guy named John Nelson Darby. And because like that did not take root at all that thinking Mm. didn't take root anywhere because things were going well it wasn't really until i think it was i can't remember if it was i think it was world war one was when that ideology started taking root because it actually had fertile soil to convince people that this shit
1: was going to hell in a handbasket well, that's interesting. I didn't realize it coincided with World War One like that. Um, yeah.
2: I mean, it, it started popping up before that, but that's what I mean, that created the fertile ground for that narrative to really take root.
1: Well, and it was it makes, that almost makes the sense. end of the world. Yeah. Well, that makes sense, too, because because I mean, this is what I say to people, because I literally during coronavirus and uh, the election and, you know, you know the riots uh, and the, the you know, this, what happened in the Capitol in January, Uh, all this stuff, like every time stuff like that popped up in the news, I would get people in my DM asking me my thoughts on, um, on like, do you think this is it? Do you think this is the end of the world? And, (laughs) and I'm, and I'm just like, I'm like, if I was in world war two, if I was alive during that time, I would have ardently, like if I was going to believe any point was like, this is it. I would have thought that was right. Yeah. And so compared to that, like what we're experiencing now, not, not to take away from how horrible some of the stuff is that we're of experiencing course. now. Cause it is, but like, it like world war two would have been to me, a more compelling candidate for the end of the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for, for sure. No
2: kidding. Hiding under desks and like,
1: yeah. <laughs> bomb drills, yeah. Well, like, and like, yeah.
2: I mean, the baseline that you're setting uh,
1: is for, <laughs> the, I mean, the s- we're bombing cities of civilians with nuclear weapons. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, that it doesn't get. I mean, it th- hasn't got darker than that since. There, there uh, haven't it's like the there darkest haven't moment been, in human history almost. Yeah, like there haven't been many. I was, I was trying to find words for that, but that's good. It's like there, there aren't many things darker than that that we've experienced as a species. I mean, there, I can think of some candidates, but I mean, that's pretty scary. That's pretty awful.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. dude so can I take you can I can I throw another game at you guys? Sure <laughs> yeah. this is a double participation. it's It's less of a game and more of a mental health exercise okay I So love it. you said um, while you have criticisms of of evangelicalism and Christianity, there was good things about it that you remember. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to take you guys on a guide of meditation real quick. Uh, so if I'm you here for clo- it man close your eyes. And just, you know, clear your mind. I want you to just put yourself in in church. It's like 1215. The service has ended. Not at my church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this depends on the church.
1: We're still on the 40th uh, final chorus. Of the...
0: <laughs> just anyway, as I'm I sorry, am.
1: I'm sorry I interrupted. I couldn't help myself. Go ahead. <laughs> broke the meditation.
0: The I did. I, gone. I, I broke it. All right. I won't do that again. So the sermon is broke. You've said the prayers. You're, you know, everybody's standing up and milling around and talking to each other. And you're headed downstairs for Sunday potluck dinner. Okay. What is the dish that you're looking for as you walk down that, that dirty, uh, you know, table full of food and pet hair?
1: (laughs) Oh, I instantly know. It's- you you do you, this, John. I didn't really have church potlucks occasionally, maybe once a year. You missed out. When I was talking about some of the good things about evangelicalism, I was talking about the potlucks. Yeah. <laughs> um no, for me it's like the immediate thing that comes to mind is the triangle sandwiches of
0: egg salad. <laughs> oh, classic. That was definitely there.
1: And they're always like really small, right? So so I would the game I would play was how many of these can I eat at one time without looking like really bad. So like I would take <laughs> I would take two um but not three because that'd be greedy. And then I would eat them and then I would wait a few minutes and then I would make sure that I if I go back for two more, I would make sure that the people at the table are not the same people.
0: <laughs> Dude, so I was always looking for uh for fried chicken, which was usually there, generally not homemade, just store bought and put into a homemade container. Yeah. And then when you get to the dessert table, uh, brownies anytime, but there was one family that anytime we had a school bake sale or a church potluck, rather than uh, baking something, they would just buy a box of ice cream cones and fill them with icing. (laughs) What? (laughs) It's like the (laughs) trashiest dessert. But I did eat it. I I won't lie, I ate it.
1: I mean, in a strange way, that sounds kind of good.
0: It's, uh, it's, it's
1: like a it's
2: weird, uh, intense version of Dunkaroos.
1: Oh, my <laughs> oh, gosh. it is. That's Dunkaroos. why it sounds good. <laughs> oh, my gosh, Dunkaroos. You just took me back. <laughs>
0: Dude, I wow. just want to take like a 10 milligram edible and eat Dunkaroos, like a whole box of Dunkaroos. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Dunkaroos. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sam, every Sunday was potluck for you at home church, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, when
2: I did home church, people would generally hang out after
1: uh,
0: John, have you ever heard such a thing? Home church. Oh yeah, that so, was the first time.
1: <clears throat> yeah, so my my dad is a pastor, and I grew up in the vineyard, and um, and then okay, oh, vineyard. Actually, that's well, that's, more,
2: hence the church service is going long, and the chorus well, is lasting forever.
1: Yeah, well, that's the starting point. So, so I grew up in a group of churches that was not only in the vineyard, but got kicked out of the vineyard for being too crazy. Ooh, and whoa. uh, and and. And then about 10 years after that, my dad, uh, my, my family moved and my dad, um, we we got connected to this other church that was also in that same network of churches. And it was a church that had been sort of uh, shrinking in numbers for some time and needed to sort of be reformulated. So they, they brought my dad in to help transition into home churches. So my, my dad started pastoring this, this network of home churches that had once been a more traditional, uh, sort of, uh, own a building and have a Sunday service type church. So, so yeah, my, my, my dad actually was really involved in the home, the home church thing. And, uh, and there's a lot of things about the home church thing that I actually, uh, that I actually think were healthier than some of the things that I saw in the you know sort of more institutionalized evangelical churches I grew up in.
2: Yeah, I, I can see why that would make sense. I mean, I, when I was participating in home church, it was just a bunch of people who, I, I, we just got together and did it. Like there wasn't anyone who had any real experience or- mm, That's uh, cool. It was, so what was interesting about it was like, it there was no, I mean, there was no grounding. Like it was just the, whatever, I don't know. It's, it's a weird situation because one of the problems I have with evangelicalism is like the lack of, um, the lack of, um, authority outside of like, it just tips off at like the, Interesting. the tipping point of mm-hmm. the pastor. Um, yeah. and he goes to a college and learns some things and then goes to a church and can say whatever he wants. And people are like, yeah, okay, I'm in.
1: Um, right, right. And that's really actually one of the, yeah, that's one of the things that Catholics will uh, advocate for is that they have a, they have a structure that Protestants think is choking, right. but it actually provides stability. And um, you know, we can argue about whether that's healthy or not. <laughs> but but you're right, you're right. The evangelical church is a lot more freewheeling because, you know, if you have a disagreement on doctrine, you just break off. Which, right. Which is what? what happens <laughs> always. I know that's yeah. why there's so many of them it's literally one difference like hey
2: that's a and it's always a game changer like they, they, they can't participate in, in church with people who think too differently about certain things and like I guess we just need to go start our own church over here it's like kind of weird uh yeah how, yeah Christianity is driven from being able to just have reasonable disagreement and keep a conversation like, it's the lack of conversation that I think has kind of ruined it and got us into these dark corners of the world yeah. with like sets of
1: beliefs and, and, you, know, and... Y- you know you know who's got that figured out in a really interesting way is Judaism yeah, yeah. like like their whole thing like like are arguing about doctrine that's that is the religion I know, you know? that really cool. sounds miserable that's what, to me well <laughs> I, I, think it's, I mean I guess it could be um but to me it's kind of beautiful because I mean, it's, so there's this, there's this, um, this old Jewish parable and it's really, really, it, it sums it up beautifully for me. So there's these two, there's these two rabbis and they're having an argument about the Torah and the significance of a particular passage and what it means or whatever. Right. And they don't disagree. They've disagreed for years and years. They, uh, they've, they've, they've never really been able to get on the same page. And, uh, finally God gets sick of hearing them argue. And he comes down to earth and he says, hey, I've heard you guys argue about this stuff for years and years and years and years. I'll tell you what this passage means. And the rabbis, in a rare moment of unity, turn to God and say together, what right have you got to come down here and, and tell us what this means? You you know, you know clear off and we're going to keep arguing about it. And, uh, and the beautiful thing to me about that is that it's the, um, f- for them... Their discussion over the Torah, the Torah is not a, a a doctrine that they adhere to adhere to so much as it is a connection point between the two of them. Yeah, and it it's it's the basis of their community, and it's the it's it's the the raw material that they have to work with and build a a a, a society, a life, and 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 relationships. And and I find that really beautiful.
2: You yeah. know and it's given it longevity i mean it looks like when I mean, you look at where christianity's at and how dispersed it's become and unaffiliated with itself and each other within it um and then you look at judaism it's
0: like they've
2: been doing this for a few thousand years now and they're yeah. still doing a pretty good job
1: at they know keeping- what they, they they know what they're doing <laughs> so yeah. it's like a
0: whole different animal than like the the doctrinal debates that happened like in in my church and stuff you know where it's it's like people were you know, I I pretty much ruined a friendship with one of my closest buddies, really, because we couldn't shut up about predestination. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. So I, I it's like a, it's just a whole different way. Look, it's not, and it's it's not that it's not consequential for him either. Like it's absolutely consequential and important to him, but they just don't view it as like a uh, an all or nothing, you know, drag out fight that you know they either win or they retreat
1: <laughs> and- yeah i think i think it's a it's a it's a cultural understanding of what the goal is right because in in my experience in evangelical christianity when you have a doctrinal dispute the goal is to get everyone on the same page right right the goal is like no 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 i'm right you're wrong and you need to agree with me otherwise we can't even be in relationship right right and and the process of having the discussion or or sometimes the argument the argument is the thing you're trying to finish. You're trying to finish the argument. In Judaism, at least the kind of Judaism we're talking about here, um, the argument is the goal, right? right? The argument is the point. Because there's a recognition that we're engaging with one another. Um, and this this it, we are participating in creation and destruction, and we're, pre- we're participating in this sort of evolving thing and it's the it's the discussion about it that maintains our relationship. So they see that discussion as a connection rather than a, a separation. We look at it as a separation. They see it as a connection, and that's where I think um, they have the ability to to be resilient in ways that maybe we don't because of that.
2: Yeah, it's much more It's like, more like, we, it's like uh, evangelicalism has landed on the end goal is to be right. Um, and the rightness of your beliefs is what matters as opposed to having a conversation about how those beliefs affect your life and how they allow you to live in the world. And I think some of that has to do with Judaism's lack of, um, The lack of conversation about an afterlife as opposed to a christian's Mm. like everything's related to the end goal of christianity the end goal is always getting to heaven when you die or whatever like there's something that happens after this place as opposed to something that's more important that's happening in this place to participate in and i feel
1: like that's where things get lost and it's a hundred percent yes so what you're touching on here is one of the fundamental problems with christianity for me
2: yeah is that Sorry, no. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're fine. Uh, do you want to go in another direction? No, I want you to say what you're going to say.
1: Oh, okay. So, <clears throat> my view is once once you accept the idea of heaven and hell, and, uh, and a and a choice to you know, if you accept Jesus, heaven. If you don't accept Jesus, hell. And then and then all the things that Christianity adds to that choice, right? Like, like, yeah. yeah. Um, You know, and and I'm making broad strokes here because there's certain there's certain exceptions. But in general, Mm -hmm. once you introduce that idea, then then you can actually convince people that it's loving to do things and say things that are harmful to people because because you can because you can hold because you can hold this idea that like, yeah, 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 but it might seem harmful right now or it might be hard to hear right now or like it might not seem very nice right now but i'm interested in your eternal destination your eternal future right and so (laughs) you can so you can you can get people to reject the lgbtq plus community because it's like well i'm i'm you know even what even in my rejection of them i'm i'm acting in their best interest you can convince people that that's true
0: yeah. and i was thinking of grace as you were talking about that your guys's conversation yeah
1: yeah and and like so so i just i actually <clears throat> i feel like i've come to see how um how scary it is to believe things so dogmatically about eternity when it's like None of us have been there, none of us have <laughs> like like we don't know what lies on the other side of death and and anyone who says that they do, even within Christianity, even if you study the bible there are there are a, a wide a, a very diverse range of views on what happens after death,
2: yeah that you have to for that conclusions forced by a cultural narrative, not a, really a biblical a
1: hundred percent yes, and so a cultural narrative. Hands you a conclusion, and then you go out and live your life based on that conclusion, as if it's capital T truth, right right? And it allows you to discriminate against people. It allows you to to embrace doctrines that are harm for, harmful for people and because you go like, well, in eternity, like this is what really matters, but it's based on a cultural assumption.
0: I feel like we had a very like our just the description given to us of hell was like a lot more clear than the description given to us of heaven. And correct me if I'm wrong, but there's not a whole lot in the Bible about hell. Is there? Uh, Well, <laughs> there kind of is, but it's, but it's, um,
1: <laughs> it's, it's really, it's so diverse that it doesn't always jump out at you as being talking about the same thing. So my favorite book on this subject is called her gates will never be shut by Bradley Jersak. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but I'd recommend I, I'm it. Super
2: but... familiar with the book. I remember when it came out, um... I don't know if it, when it came out. I
1: just remember it being a popular uh conversation piece for a little bit. Oh yeah. I mean, so the reason why I really like it is while I I do think I I know what his views are on e- on eternity uh, or I suspect um I actually am, I'm going to be recording a podcast with him uh in the next few weeks, so I'll oh, ask fun. him more directly. Nice. But um but he he lays out according to, you know, the Christian scriptures. He lays out, uh, three different views of hell that are sort of possible based on scripture. And that's eternal conscious torment. Um, which is sort of what we more or less think of as the hell that we probably learned about growing up. Right. Um, and then, uh, annihilationism, which is basically like hell, just people that go to hell will just cease to exist. Um, and then the third is universalism, which is that God, you know, will in the end save everyone. And, He argues that in order to adhere to any one of those three views, you have to prioritize some scripture over other scripture. Yeah. Hmm. Because all three of those views are supported by scripture in certain places and then seem to be uh, argued against in other places. So there's not any one of those three (laughs) views that there's not any one that like for any view you hold, someone can come at you and be like, well, what about this verse? Right. And. And, and Jersak's point with that is that like, well, yeah, like there's, there's not complete clarity here. And so his argument is you have to go back to Jesus and the person of Jesus that you read about in the gospels and go, what is his nature and what makes the most sense to you? You know, that, that's sort of his argument. Yeah.
2: And then what about the Mark Driscoll argument that says you put, you make three columns and you line up each verse that says a different thing in a different column and you just pick the idea that has the most in one column. That's pretty academic and scholarly.
1: Yeah, no? it's academic and scholarly, <laughs> but
2: it's it's like kind of cold, right? It's <laughs> yeah. like um it's, it's it's a ridiculous way to go about looking at. <laughs> I was, I'm making a joke there. I um, Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I remember listen there was a, I remember listening to a sermon where he would that's how we kind of tried to figure that out and I find right, I, right. I remember being like that was my first indication. I'm like, okay. I was along on this ride with you for a little while there, Mark, but I think I'm jumping off right about here. <laughs> this is not yeah. like the best way to go about.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, when you when you start thinking about it, it's like we're we've built we've built these structures, these, you know, religious structures on the illusion of certainty. Yeah. Uh where where no certainty exists. And, and, um, or no, no justifiable certainty exists, you know, and, um, my argument, you know, against, against some of the way that Christian culture has played out is not so much, I'm not even saying that this stuff for sure is not, there's no truth here in Christianity. I'm just saying that like people that grow up in Christianity are not taught the nuance. They're not taught they're not taught about Christianity's warts and, and wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's a disservice because then once people start asking questions and discovering the warts and the wounds, then people just throw it out wholesale, you know, like I did uh, for a, for a time, that's, you know, that's me. Yeah.
2: So actually I, that's a good point. Pl- that's a good kind of way to jump into your story. Cause I, 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 I this is what you said is incredible. Very true, uh, generally speaking, about what's happening. And um, even since – and I'm not saying this even as a criticism. I I think there's a lot of good reason uh, if you've been hurt by this institution to reject it wholesale and that it might not be salvageable due to – I mean, Mm. uh, maybe you you would – I don't know. Maybe there's a therapist that can help you work through the (laughs) traumatic upbringing you had i'm not i don't mean right. that as like a, to be dismissive i'm saying but there's directed you know, at me yeah casey i'm trying to get you saved no ther- um, <laughs> therapy has been actually very helpful for me but yeah, there's a lot I, I agree there's just a lot of people who are like even if there's things they miss about christianity maybe it's the connectivity maybe it's the like a church itself is a problem but having a community um there's a lot of things that are to miss about it when you're out of it uh, yeah but the the language in the that's used and it's just too difficult to stomach and it just brings up too many bad, bad memories. So I I, I'm saying all this just to make it clear that I think there's a good reason why people reject it. And it's not, I'm not trying to bring any of them back in if that's not what's agreed. Agreed.
1: Neither, neither am I, my, my desire is to see people live healthy lives uh, healthy for themselves healthy for their families healthy for their communities mm-hmm. and and um, I, I do think that it is possible to do that um, in uh, and, and main and have some sort of Christian spiritual practice I think that's possible yeah but but it's not going to be uh, it's not for everyone right. I don't think yeah and some some people like you said it's like there's for some people there's too much trauma. Yeah, You know,
2: and, and it's, and, it's and, tough because, you know, I, I still participate in a, um, in, in a church and with it and with the Christian tradition. Um, okay. And of course, it's a lot different than it was as a, a kid and and what I grew up with. But um, so for I. I that's why i like to say these things because i you know as someone who still participates in it and was able to salvage it and find meaning and beauty and and kind of engage in these nuanced conversations with the small group of people that i'm connected with through it Mm -hmm. um like these conversations that we would have here are um are no different than the types of ones that i might have with the small group of people that
1: i Go yeah. To church. But so, well, look, uh, we're we're doing that same thing that that Jewish parable talked about, right? right? Yeah, we're yeah. we're doing that thing right now and and it's possible to do that thing with other people who are curious about the person of Jesus, who are right. interested in Jesus as I mean, maybe Jesus as a historical figure, maybe Jesus as an idea, maybe Jesus as the christ like i you know there, there's a lot of ways to approach uh this oh, stuff sure. and 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 i i'm i'm with you i'm just like you approach it any way you want as long as it's good for you and good for your family and good for your community yeah. that's what i care about
2: so your story john when i mean obviously you were so entrenched in in the in the christian music scene for sure in a in way it. That- Yeah, a lot of people weren't, even if they were Christian adjacent with like some of like, I'm not sure exactly what it is that makes uh, some bands more like heavily, like the Christian community more heavily identifies with some versus others. But I mean, you guys were, you guys were in it and we were in it. You couldn't really, I I have to imagine at some point you, because listening to you talking up, up until now, you've had a lot, I mean. You, you've gone out of your way to learn a lot and to understand a lot. And I, uh, I imagine you weren't necessarily feeling so free to do this um, when you were, you know, a full-time touring Christian band that had expectations. Yeah. Um, so I kind of want to hear about that. And when these ideas started creeping in and, sure. and who you talked to about it and when you felt comfortable kind of breaking away from your the tradition that you were in
1: yeah absolutely um well it started th- in a way the sort of process of me reevaluating uh, my faith and and my perspective on the world it kind of started when i became the singer of hawk okay because because i took over the role of 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 uh of main songwriter at the same time yeah and so so up until that point i wasn't really involved in the songwriting very much so i so i really became you know the the one sort of spearheading the messaging of the band and yeah and I had seen a change in culture that went from being like oh we want Christian versions of other bands which is kind <laughs> of what the which is what the culture was when we started right so we were like sort of a Christian Blink One Eight Two or a Christian version of Good Charlotte like that kind of thing yeah and and that culture had changed by the time that I became the singer it was like no if you're going to participate in Christian music uh, there was a desire for a lot more explicit messaging about um, about faith and God and, and all that. So I started writing music that was more overtly Christian. And when I started doing that, I realized how lacking my theological perspective was and how little I actually knew. And And I realized also at that point that if you're a Christian band, it's almost expected that there's a pastoral element to what you do. Um, you know, hmm. especially as the singer, like it's expected that you have some truth to impart, you know? And so I felt that responsibility and I was like, well, I, I, I probably need to understand my own faith better. And, uh, so I started learning. I started, uh, that, that was when I became really obsessed with learning a little bit more about theology and the history of Christianity. Who were some of the authors that you, um, that you gravitated towards in that phase or in that period. Well, I can't remember where. I mean, I know I read like Lee Strobel, Case for Christ, <laughs> like some apologetic stuff like that because I wanted to like, I don't know, I felt like I wanted to understand like the basics of defending Christianity. Yeah. But but I read a book that sort of wrecked me, and it was Love Wins by yeah, Rob Bell. Yeah.
2: I had that. And, as, I had a similar experience with that. That was what the first like. I don't know if that was the first, like, you shouldn't read these kinds of books book that I read. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. And I remember people being wildly pissed off about that book. <laughs> yeah. Um. And, and so much so that I read the book and I was so inspired by it, but I I was scared to go down that road. And mm-hmm. so Francis Chan actually wrote a book in response to that book, and it's yeah. called Erasing Hell. I read that one, too. That yeah. That was and I a re- weak-ass I, book, to be honest. Ex- yeah, I read it. I read it. And like his... And this is what I remember from Erasing Hell. And so <laughs> like at the at the time at the time, I actually found Francis Chan's arguments compelling because it it uh it played into the worldview that I had been operating under for so long. And I was like, it's like Rob Bell disturbed my worldview. Uh and and Francis Chan was like gave me the language to like go back to it. You know, yeah. it was like go back to my safety, right? Um, so at the time I found his book convincing, but I look back. And I, and I remember Francis Chan in that book, he says, I wish this were true. I yeah. wish, I That's wish, like I wish Channing Rob was right. was right. Like, I wish Rob was right. I just don't think that he is. And I remember like, now I look back at that and I'm like, does that not raise a red flag for anyone?
0: Because, yeah. because, because, <laughs> because like,
1: let's look at the implications of that. The impl- <laughs> like the implications are, I would love I would love it if God was loving and kind enough (laughs) and powerful enough, loving enough and, and, and enough of a healer to be able to reconcile himself to all things. Like it says in the Bible, Yeah, (laughs) you know, (laughs) uh, like, 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 like Francis was saying, I have a desire for that to be God's nature, but I don't think god is as good as i wish he was yeah. that's basically what francis is saying
0: yeah and, Dude, that's, and that's always been like one of the things that hung me up too even yeah you know when i was still in it was like you know the the picture that some of this is painting is that uh god's like throwing a bunch of babies into the deep end of the pool and then pulling a couple out and being like i'm so merciful i'm loving <laughs> um
1: yeah so 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 that was that was sort of a, the beginning point of me going like, huh,
0: what year really was think that about
1: this? So that was, I don't know, 2013, okay. Twenty something like that. Yeah, I that hope that's right. I hope that's right. Because I mean, when did that book come out? It must be right, because I, I think I
2: must have read it like seven or eight. I mean, I had to have read it seven. It had to have come out like eight years
1: ago. I think I read it seven, seven or eight years ago. It came out in 2011. That sounds right. So, so yeah, I was I became the singer in 2012. So I probably was reading this book right around that time. We were probably so, reading those books at the same time, John. <laughs> probably were. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think a lot of us were. And going like, wait, 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 could yeah. this be true? <laughs> um, so, so that was part of it, and then, um, and then I started to just see things in culture that made me uncomfortable. Um, in songwriting sessions I started to notice that i was uncomfortable using certain terminology mm-hmm. so so like people would t- bring up like the idea of referring to God as king and and I was like i remember just immediately being like well no i'm not i'm not doing that oh. and and it just like i like couldn't in my gut i couldn't i couldn't sing you are my king because it felt so inauthentic to my to, to me, I didn't feel, I felt so fake singing that.
2: Yeah. What these songwriting sessions? Is that like, did you have people around you trying to help craft the right Christian message? um,
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. But that's how it works. So in, in Christian music, almost nobody writes music uh, completely on their own. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a community of producers and songwriters and, 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 it's, it's easy to look at that as some like sort of overlord type situation. On, and I actually, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think it is like, like this community really does exist to, to, to help artists create, create things. Um, I, I, I dearly love a lot of people in that community. And so I don't, you know, I, I don't say any of this as a criticism to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a, there the, the truth is that Christian culture on the whole dictates what it it sort of sets the tone for what Christians want to hear in their music. Right. Yeah. And then, and then, and then the, you know, labels, producers and writers are responding to that. So it's not like, it's not like they have an agenda other than they want the things that they make to be successful. That's, that's really their agenda right so they're just and,
2: it's kind of lip service to the uh, maybe that sounds too dismissive
1: but it's like well it's, it's a it's, it's a, a business a you know it's a business and and there there's a market they're trying to serve that market that's that's what it is and it's just like adding a spiritual layer to that just makes it awkward and most yeah. christian music listeners don't want to believe that that you know that this business layer is there but
2: so if you want to change christian music you i'd you arguably just have to change Christian culture is basically the...
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like like go. Christian Christian music is nested in a much bigger conversation about Christian culture. Yeah, okay. for sure. So so anyway, so I'm, I'm taking part in these songwriting sessions and I'm noticing there's just certain things that make me uncomfortable. I'm, I'm much more comfortable talking about God than Jesus. And I also am much more hmm. comfortable writing in vague generalities than I am about being specific. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like, okay, so why does that make me uncomfortable? Um, uh, you know, like if I believe in God, if I believe in Jesus, I believe in salvation. Why do I feel uncomfortable singing about it specifically? Um, and, and I, I really started wrestling with that and going like, well, why did, do, why does this bother me? Why does my gut tell me this is not, something's not right here. Mm-hmm. um, And for a long time, I just didn't know what to do with that feeling. And I lived in this duality of like, I'm singing, I'm singing songs about God, but I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it. Um, And eventually, uh, eventually I started to question more deeply. And, and a a number of things were happening. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I became a father. uh, And so... So when I, when my wife and I started having kids, the immense pressure of, uh, of having a coherent worldview to teach my kids. Yeah. Um, so like that came to mind and I was like, man, if I'm not sure about this Christianity thing, if I have doubt, like I need to learn more and I need to understand because, I want to know what the truth is so I can impart that to my children. You know, I don't, I don't want to like when my kids come to me and ask questions about God, I I don't want to be like, well, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Although, although now I sort of do want it to be that answer, Um, but but, uh, yeah, so, so, so that was a motivation to learn more. And then also I had started doing video and film work on the side and that was really growing and it occurred to me that I could do that full time if I wanted to and it actually might be a better way to make a living. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Cuz music is tough, man. Uh people, you know, uh, people the the quintessential example of this for me is like if, you know, when we we're on tour, we were on a tour bus and so people would be like, "Oh, you're on this like tour bus. That's pretty swanky." Like yeah, you guys must. You guys must uh, be making good money, and I'm like, well, we would be if we weren't on a tour bus.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> um, if we were if we were touring in a Prius, we'd be making money. So, um, <laughs> so, so anyway, I, I it occurred to me that I could do something else for a living, and then as I got doing that more, it occurred to me that if I only did video and film work, no one would care what my beliefs were. And yeah. then it occurred to me, do I only believe in Christianity because I grew up in it and my job depends on it? And that thought wrecked me because I was like, uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what do I really believe? Um, and we were in the middle <laughs> of, I was in the middle of writing what would be our last Hawk Nelson album when I had that realization. Did, did and, you know that
2: was going to, so you knew that was going to be that Hawk? Nelson's last album didn't have anything to do with your change of beliefs. That was on that was already the writing was on the wall for that already.
1: Or well, was it kind of did it with really, it? It's really difficult for me to parse out the cause and effect of all that because sure. it was all happening at the same time. But um I I had told the guys that I wanted to come off the road. Um yeah. before I was very consciously like deconstructing. I think I was I was questioning, but I was still very much in it. Okay. And I told the guys I wanted to come off the road, and we basically agreed to a two-year timeline where we would we okay. we would we would wind things down. We'd finish the album that we were working on. And I, I was questioning a lot, but not uh, fully yet. Um, so it's very difficult for me to parse out what caused what. It just was all happening at the same time. It sounds and, like um, it was like a healthy... End though,
2: like it, it wasn't anything. It sounds like I mean you guys worked it out and kind of had a good end. Yeah, to it. It I mean it.
1: there were mixed feelings in the band. Like when I said I wanted to come off the road, some of the guys were like, "Oh, I feel the same." Oh yeah, you know. And some of the guys were like, "I've spent my whole life building this. What yeah. will I have if it's over?" And mm. um the thing that's tough is that, like, I love these guys. Like there's no love lost between us. Like they're my they're my bros for life. You know, yeah. like and. Um I knew uh, because we didn't have the heart to go through another lead singer change. Mm. I knew that if I wanted to be done with music, that it meant that I was quitting for all of us. Yeah, Ooh. that's a
2: hard that's a hard, man. That's a lot of pressure on you too. Especially yeah, with And it's else like
1: going through. And it's unfair no matter how you slice it. It's like it's unfair for me to make that decision for them, but it's also unfair for me to feel like my life is held hostage. Right. So So that's why we did the two year thing. And I was like, look, I will like, I'm basically giving you my notice, but instead of two weeks notice, I'll give you two years. (laughs) So that's what we, I figured, I mean, I mean, that was the most
0: gracious, like middle ground. I felt like we could find. Yeah. So was anybody else in the band? I mean, obviously you don't want to, you know, speak for anyone. No, it's fine. But did anybody else in the band, like have those same conflicts of faith going on or have they, or, I think on their own levels, they sort of at,
1: had questions, but they weren't aggressively going at it like I was. Like I, I was like, like I remember in the last uh, the last year of the band, I remember we went out for dinner on a, a day off somewhere as we were traveling and we were at a Mexican restaurant and over margaritas, I just said, yeah, I don't think God's real. <laughs> and, and, uh, and they were like, I could see it in their faces that they were like, uh Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> because there's implicate, like, it was like, there's so many implications. Yeah. Like, first off, they're worried about me and my mental health. Cause I was, I was actually really depressed during this time. Oh, really? Cause it was, well, it was devastating to my, the foundation of my life. Yeah. And so I, I, um, I hadn't yet started therapy. I started therapy a little later and it was very helpful. Um, I was just, I was, I was just in a very dark place. And so I think they felt for me on that level. Mm-hmm. And then they also were like, um, are you going to be able to make it through these two years? Like, like we're, we're going out and playing shows and singing songs about God. Like, what are you going to do? How are you going to do that? And I was like, I don't know. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably do a lot of like, just start the next song and don't make me talk between songs as much, you know, like uh. probably
0: a lot of that. Um did anybody look at you and say John is that a virgin margarita?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, we had been cool with drinking for some time. <laughs> oh see, Yeah. yeah so you're uh, you're hypocrites. Oh yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, I uh, we we I mean prioritizing scripture right to go back to that it's like it's like my favorite verse to throw out at people is like the water into wine miracle jesus's first miracle is recorded in the gospel of john you know so it's like he's <laughs> making alcohol he's literally like he's literally a, a miraculous distiller
0: so uh, <laughs> I, can, I can rattle off the counter argument if need be
1: <laughs> oh really
0: the be not, is, be not, be so not drunk times. with wine one well it was like uh the counter argument was always like well, back in the day, the water purity was not what it what should be. And so you couldn't drink straight water without getting sick. So Jesus took, put, turned water into wine, but really it was just low alcohol content just to kill the bacteria. So it wasn't really alcoholic. It was just a matter of creating clean di- drinking water for them. Christians shouldn't drink.
1: Oh, interesting. Well, that that that's sort of refuted by the do not be drunk with wine thing. <laughs> Right. Because like well, later I mean, if you on, want the, to
0: look at other verses, I guess, <laughs> Yeah,
1: well, you know, like the Apostle Paul is, you know, is talking about do not be drunk with wine. So obviously being drunk is a thing. And right. they're at a they're at a wedding. They're celebrating. Like, what do you think they're doing? They're right. drinking wine at a wedding. And we know
0: that being drunk is a thing.
1: So <laughs> I feel like, like that was
0: the that was the argument was like, well, being yeah. drunk is wrong. But drinking anything is it's kind of playing with fire, don't you think?
2: <laughs> mm, yeah Well, i remember the, what's that the, the slippery slope of how do you know when you go from being not drunk to drunk where's the line like it's just there's this line in the sand you're like shit i'm drunk sam, <laughs> yeah
0: sam i have I'm an addictive personality and so you know i just worry that if i were to uh dip my toe in that water i mean it might just pull me in i mean i have a, an addictive personality yeah i can't yeah,
1: stop well, eating slim
0: jim uh, dare <laughs>
1: I mean this is I mean this whole thing is an example of of why legalism doesn't work. Yeah, right. Because, right. because it 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 creates artificial boundaries that that don't hold up to I mean that often don't hold up to even like light analysis or criticism, you know? Yeah. Um so yeah, so okay, so from there um basically as the band was sort of concluding, that's when I was like hardcore in my process of deconstruction. Yeah. And, and I was reading, um, I was reading, I mean, all over the map. Like I should, I should go into my Kindle actually. Like uh, I was reading Sam Harris. I was reading Richard Carrier. I was reading um, uh, a lot about other religions. So I was reading about Buddhism. Uh, I was reading about Taoism. I was reading about Islam and, you know, of course the idea popped into my head, like, like, I don't think if I was born in another part of the world, I wouldn't be Christian, you know?
2: Yeah. Um, that's a, such a, when you have that realization, uh, <laughs> that's that, not that I guess you, you might have never thought about it before, but when you think about that one in a new way and you're just like, oh, like, yeah. Oh yeah. That it's so simple, but it really is such a, eye-opening thing like thought experiment to be like i didn't come to these conclusions on my own these were given to me and i built the worldview based on the basics that were given to me
1: yeah i mean like if i was born in a different part of the world i would be sunni i'd be a sunni muslim or i'd be a shia muslim or you know i'd i'd be hindu or you know like it's like well yeah and 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 then it occurred to me that within christianity the only thing I had ever, like the only source I had ever learned from, uh, you know, learned about other religions from, was Christians who had converted from those religions, right? Right. So it's like, like Christians will trot out a Muslim who is not Muslim anymore, and now they're Christian, and then that mu- that Christian who is formerly Muslim will teach you about Islam, and like, yeah, yeah. that that person does know. More about Islam than than someone who has never been Muslim. Sure, I'll give you that. But the thing I love to pose to Christians is like, would you be comfortable, like, if there was a Christian who then converted to Islam, and then was going to a Muslim, uh, you know, a mosque and teaching the Muslims there about Christianity, yeah. <laughs> but they're not a Christian anymore; they're they're Muslim. Would you would you feel like they're accurately representing your faith? you right. know, and of course you wouldn't, of course. because they're like, Oh, well, like if they really believed it, they would still be Christian, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, so that's, that's that I, it occurred to me that I had only ever learned about other religions from a Christian perspective every time. And so I started learning from, uh, you know, adherence to those other religions. And I'm like, you know, I had this crazy experience where, um, I did, uh, in my film work, I did, uh, I did a music video for an artist uh, for a song called wherever I go. And we flew around the world in a week and we filmed, wow. uh, we filmed in a different country every day for seven days. And one of the countries, oh, incredible. one of the countries was Egypt. And um, we randomly met these guys that, ha- that were building an apartment building within a uh, visual range of the great pyramids. And, I don't wow. remember how it happened, but we ended up at sunset because, oh, we were looking for a place to film some time lapses of the sun going down uh, over the the Great Pyramids of Giza. Man, so,
2: is, <laughs> that's like, that sounds like the most amazing experience. It there. was. It
1: was honestly so cool. like it was incredible. It was it was beautiful. It was there was something spiritual about it for me. Um, but so when you're filming a time lapse, you set up a camera. It does its thing and you just like sit there. Yeah. right? <laughs> So so we're just sitting there and we're we're with these guys um and we start talking about spirituality and we start asking about their muslim faith and and I just asked them point blank I was like so where we come from a lot of people just think that muslims are violent and want to kill everybody else like mm-hmm. is there is like is there any truth to that you know, and I like I felt a little awkward asking because it's yeah. a pretty point, pointed question, but I just wanted to get right to it. And so they were so cool. Um, they literally were was like they they got really kind of somber and they were like, we feel so misunderstood. We we feel like outside of the Muslim world, there have been some some ideas and some caricatures of, of who we are and what we believe that have proliferated. And we recognize that there's some, there's been some high profile sort of violent acts that have mm-hmm. been done in the name of Islam that grieve us to our core. And, and I, our greatest wish is that, is that people could understand that for the vast majority of Muslims that those acts and that perspective, that violent perspective does not represent who we are. And he was like really grieved by it, yeah, and um and then he just kind of shared with me what his faith means for him. and I was like, that's I had never I had never heard that before mm-hmm. um and I, I took that experience with me and it just it made me go like, oh, be careful." letting a small group of people speak for any large group of people. Be careful, yeah. you know? Um, well, that think, was like, my
0: takeaway from that. It's kind of amazing that that's continually like a theme where, you know, it, it does seem like, I don't know if it's even so much strictly evangelicals or just just like right people who tend to be on the right side of the political spectrum. Like after the last four years, if you're a, a moderate right-wing person, it sure seems like you would understand that the idea that like a small group of people can speak for you and misrepresent what you, what you, you know, you believe. I, I agree. Yeah. But I think that part of the problem with, uh, trying to understand other religions and other viewpoints and stuff is you're right. Like everything I learned about all of those other religions was always coming from the standpoint of like, um, not even so much a christian who had converted but just like christian propaganda literature uh, about yeah. why those are wrong it's like you oh, walk yeah. into mm-hmm. every interaction with those people thinking that well this this faith is counterfeit like they don't have a meaningful relationship with their faith because how could they it's not real yeah
1: yeah and then and then what what ends up happening is like if you point out any good and beautiful parts of these other religions, the Christian response is, well, yeah, of course they stole it from Christianity, (laughs) (laughs) right? Like they, like, they'll be like, well, yeah, it's like, it's like, just because they have some good and beautiful things doesn't, doesn't mean they're not deeply wrong. And, and, and then in some, in some ways I want to turn that, I mean, like look in the mirror, Christianity, like, you know, we, we Christianity evolved out of Judaism, right? You know? Like if anyone in this in this whole conversation could feel like their point of view was taken and co-opted, it's it's Judaism.
2: (laughs) I know. They're probably like Pharisees taking
1: our shit, please. (laughs) Like, like Christianity, Islam, you know, the LDS, like, like all of this, um, you know, you trace it all back, it all started with Judaism. Um so yeah, anyway, so So that's an interesting sort of aspect of the whole thing for me. And then basically once I was once we sort of finished doing Hawk Nelson stuff, I just kind of went about my life and um, was doing film work. Coronavirus hit. I was I was still studying, you know, and, and deconstructing a lot. And then when we were in lockdown after a couple of months. I don't know if we just went crazy or (laughs) we just stopped caring. But eventually I remember I I said to my wife, I was just like, I think I want to say what I think publicly because I got, I got tired of there being an existing assumption. Yeah. Oh my God. I hate that that, that assumption
2: for like the 13 people in my life that have it.
1: Never mind. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, Well, I just like
2: public person.
1: Yeah, like I had spent 15 years talking about my faith publicly and now my the, those views were evolving and I was so stuck in this mentality of like, like I was trained in Christian music that every single tweet, every Instagram post, you have uh, to think of it as a, you have to think of it as a press release every time. It's so hard, man. Like, which is such a wild
2: which, way to just train your brain.
1: Yeah. Well, and like, it's like, it, that's not entirely wrong. You know, if you're a public figure, you do need to consider mm-hmm. every single thing that you put out. So they're not entirely wrong. But what that, what that taught me is like, don't be, don't be honest is what it taught me. Oh yeah. Like, or ma- maybe that's an over, maybe that's an exaggeration, but like, don't be too transparent. Mm-hmm. But I'm just like, man, when I see the people in the world that inspire me the most, they're vulnerable they're transparent you know i think of brene brown who's like i mean who's more vulnerable than brene brown you know like she, she is so vulnerable and that vulnerability is so inspiring um yeah. and brave and so i i was just like i don't know where this is gonna go but i need to say what i feel i need to say what i think and so i wrote a post uh may 20th 2020
2: it was only and- May,
1: dude yeah, a lot of life has happened. Oh
2: since that. I was like, I think it was like over, a little over a year ago, year and a half ago. Yeah,
1: like I mean, not not quite a year yet. Um, wow. And so I wrote this post, uh, basically saying, "I'm," and the way I worded it was, "I am finding that I no longer believe in God." Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would, I would, ha- I would have modified that now to say, "I no longer believe in God." the way that I once did yes um yeah. but but at the time that was my that was my view and that was my language and so so I said I no longer believe in God mm-hmm. and here's why and I like I just laid it out, you know and um uh for a couple of days it caused waves in Christian music and,
0: <laughs> and, and I honestly like
1: don't explode. Yeah. Yes, I did. But then I also knew I'm like, this will blow over. Like, like I am not the center of anyone's universe here. You know, like, like I'll, I will get to move on with my life and I'll get to experience the joy of having been honest. And um, then about three or four days later, uh, something happened and uh, I, I discovered this something when I was, I was FaceTiming with my dad having a, you know, probably a hard conversation about this stuff. Yeah. And all of a sudden my notifications exploded. And I was like, what is going on? You know, like when you're on FaceTime, you have to, con- if you get a notification, you have to constantly just like swiping them yeah. away. And I was just like doing that like nonstop. And I'm like, okay, dad, something's going on. I got to go. And then I saw a notification come in from my buddy, uh, my buddy, Johnny. And he said, dude, you're on the front page of Fox news right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, "Uh, dad, I got to go. And so on Fox news, you know, on the front page of foxnews.com was a, I mean, not the top headline, but in the, in the front page, like right there with a picture and everything um, was, you know, Christian singer says he no longer believes in God. And once that article hit it, spread. So then CNN ran an article, uh, New York post USA today. Uh, I, I lost track of all the outlets. It was like 17 or 18 different outlets. And they all just basically said, Hey, this guy was a Christian singer and and he's come out and said he doesn't believe in God anymore. And from that point I was like, Oh boy. (laughs) Um, I knew that my life was changed forever in that moment. And I was like, okay. I don't know the significance of this, but I know that it's taken on a life beyond what I can control. And, and from this point on, I just have to try and walk it out well, whatever that looks like. It's know? hilarious.
0: Yeah. Like when, uh, when you deal with something like that that goes viral, um, my wife, it was so weird. Like one day we were hanging out and she got this email from somebody who was an editor at, I don't know, some, some like online magazine. And they're like, Hey, uh, you know, we want to, we want to do an article about how you look like Taylor Swift, you (laughs) you know, you carefully use your photos. And she was like, yeah, that's fine. So within like 30 minutes of that, the article was posted. Oh, well, so they, they had already written it. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, the funny thing though, was that like 60 articles popped up after that because they all just, it's all clickbait. They just copy someone else's story and put their header on it and boom it's up yeah and it's funny that it works that way people think that uh you know you've got all these independent publications writing and they're actually just copy and paste in each other's garbage yeah
1: (laughs) yeah yeah very much um yeah i think a lot of the outlets that i saw i think the more mainstream established outlets uh tend to act a little more professionally than that. Cause I actually reached out to almost every author of every article on social media and, and thanked them because every single one of them was actually quite fair. Um, It was not over sensationalized. It was not um, I didn't feel taken advantage of. They literally just said what I said, basically. Um, And they, they didn't draw it into a broader narrative of like, of like, this is, see, this is another example of the yeah. uh, blah, 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 blah. So, like, I, I actually reached out to each author individually and most of them wrote me back and I was just like, hey, you could have you could have turned this into something else and you didn't and I really appreciate that. That's um, cool. That's nice. Yeah, cool. yeah, that. yeah. but so, I know that Outlast... was
2: like dragged through the dirt would have been really Yeah, tough, well,
1: right? I thought that's where it was headed as it was happening. I was like, here we go. Um, but but you are correct, though. There are a ton of uh, unscrupulous outlets that will just that will just, you know, copy paste and blast things out into oblivion. And um,
2: yeah, Man, you're so, entirely
1: right about that.
2: So since you're um, since that post, then, I mean, it seems it seems like really shortly after that, I mean, you would started a, a lot of people reached out to you to have conversations on podcasts. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, man, listening to, you just saying that it was only back in, well, it's not even a year ago that I'm like, I know your, your journey started years before that, a couple of years before mm-hmm. that yeah. and, mm-hmm. and all that, but I'm like, not trying to like blow smoke up your ass or anything, but listening to your story and your, like the podcast that you started the t- the conversations you're having with people and the, um, one of the ones that I had uh, checked out was. You were talking about, you know, the origins of the New Testament and what it means to have mm. um, yeah, uh, transcripts or manuscripts. And mm-hmm. uh, it was like it's so it's well done. It's well thought out. And you're for someone who's really hasn't been on this journey long in comparison to others. You you've learned a lot and you've it seems uh, and oh, the way that you, you explain these things to people in in a kind and compassionate way is I'm really enjoying it and i'm i've been enjoying following you and your story and the way that you you present these types of conversations and information i, I you would expect you to have been on this journey much longer than you have been
1: oh thank you well I mean it i did start before i came out publicly but also i'm i've'm I'm, i've always been a reader um mm-hmm. and i um i have I don't think it's a photographic memory, but I have a pretty good memory. And so I can absorb information fairly quickly. Um, and I'm a morning person. So like I get (laughs) up at like four, I get up at four most days and I read for a few hours a day. Wow. Um, and I, and I do that not because I feel obligated to, but because it's life for me. Um, learning, learning and, and learning new things. I like, I'm, I'm insanely curious and I love learning new things. And, um, and so it's 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 just part of my DNA to to be curious and to want to know more, um, and and you know not everyone makes space for two hours of reading a day because not <laughs> everyone not everyone can quite honestly like like I'm really really lucky in the sense that I I have a career that's fairly flexible um, I I the work that I do I I can. I can make enough to make a living in a shorter amount of time than it might be for other, for some people. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm very, very, I mean, hashtag blessed, you know, <laughs> I'm very, I'm very lucky in that way that I have the ability to to dedicate some time to this. Not everybody, not everybody has that. And so I feel partially for that reason, I, it I feel compelled to share things that I'm learning um, because, because there's, there's people that have the uh, the questions that I have, but that that don't you know tend to want to read some of the stuff that I read, you know. Yeah. But 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 really want to know. And so if I can distill some of this stuff down to uh, bite sized chunks that are manageable for people, uh, and if those ideas can be helpful and actually make a difference in people's lives, cool. the weird thing is I feel like in some ways I'm continuing the work I did in Hawk Nelson. It's like. In Hawk Nelson, I was, like, concerned with making things that help people. And and in a lot of ways, I still, like, find myself very fulfilled by that same thing. Um, it's just, you know, taking on a new life now.
0: <laughs> did uh, – so before me, you came Casey? out or afterwards, did anybody, like – not in a negative way, but, like, did anybody come to get you? Like, did anybody try to insert themselves into your life and they were going to be the shepherd that led you back?
1: Um, oh yeah. I mean, that's happening constantly. Um,
0: (laughs) but, but
1: I, I just, I have this, I I don't know if you guys uh, are into the Enneagram. I assume that uh, it's at this point, everyone knows about the Enneagram. Um, probably, maybe, I don't know, but, uh, I'm an Enneagram eight, which is the challenger. And so like, it just makes total sense to me, you know? Like that, I would that I would just want to challenge things. So when someone comes into my life and sort of like tries to assert themselves as an authority, uh, my my initial gut instinct is like, uh, 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 don't 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 try that with me.
0: <laughs> I was kind of curious, like being so. I don't know if this was widespread, but I think that in my little circle, you know, when a band, a Christian band, got too much recognition from the secular world, there was not. It was almost like a suspicion, like oh, yeah. are they are mm-hmm. they being Christian enough? You know, yep. did, did you guys feel that? And like, what kind of critiques and stuff did uh, do you remember? Like silly things that? Yeah, that I mean, we didn't about. experience a lot of that because
1: we sort of started out in this sort of vaguely Christian space, right? Like it was like Letters to the President and Smile It's the End of the World were sort of Christian albums ish, right? And, you know, positive music, but not necessarily mm-hmm. uh, overtly Christian. And then we we migrated more and more and more and more towards Christian sort of messages as time went on. So no one really no one was really giving us a hard time for that because we were sort of moving in the opposite direction. We you know, Reliant we were K, more overtly those heathens. But
0: <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. So so exactly. Reliant K is a good example. Uh, Switchfoot is a good example under oath is, is that they're sort of their own thing because that whole, like, you know, like hardcore world is just, a, it's another yeah. thing entirely. It's its own category. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, skillet to a degree. Um, there, there were a bunch of bands that sort of like explored the general market. Um, and yeah, they get, they, they got really criticized for that. And then even more criticized when like, you know, predictably after a few years in the general market, you know, they have, they maybe have make a splash and then they, they sort of, and then the general market moves on to a new thing. And then these Christian bands come back to the Christian festivals. And, and, and then there was this, there was these two things that happened. One is they're successful on a whole new level. So when they used, if they're going to headline a Christian festival, if they used to ask for 30,000 they would, they would ask for 75 grand, you know, <laughs> That's a good move. or something like that. Whoa. Um, And so, yeah, so it's like, and so, so, but, but they were so successful that festivals would pay it. And, and then what it meant was there was this hollowing out of the middle class of, of bands. And so, so festivals started taking the approach of going like, well, we'll get one or two headliners. We'll pay them 60, 70 grand each. And then we'll get a bunch of like up and coming (laughs) bands and pay them next to nothing. And the sort of the world that the world that we lived in was sort of like, you know, like our, our guarantee for a festival might be 10 grand or something like that. And, you know, out of that, we would pay our staff. We'd have a bus, we'd have travel expenses, we'd have. So it's like, it's like, 10 grand yeah. sounds like a lot. It's really not. Um, yeah. No, and, and you said, ten, uh, like I mean, really, I, don't, really,
2: really I have not. just some vague familiarity uh, with the music industry, just from paying attention to it and listening to other artists talk about it. And you said 10 grand. And I was like, what? That I mean, you have five people in a band and you just played a festival, not to mention everyone that works for you guys. Like that's.
0: <laughs> my band paid to play at Cornerstone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, then there's,
1: then there's that, right? So, so the, the sort of bands that were like getting between six and, and six, you know, it's between six and 20 grand for a guarantee. Those, those bands just sort of no longer had a place because the, the, the model changed to, you know, big and small and not much in between. Um, I know that's not where this conversation was <laughs> intending to go, but, uh, sometimes stuff like that is interesting for people to hear outside of Christian yeah, music. They don't know the, so. like how the numbers shake out. Um. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we didn't really experience the sort of cultural backlash of the Christian, Christian music versus general market divide so much. Um, but one of one of the things I, I, I see now is that basically, like, if you're not worship music then you just
0: need to go into the general market. Like that's just how it is now. That I I was curious about that because my wife and I were talking about it, but you know, there were so many like Christian rock bands back in the day. And that was, I mean, we lived off of that because that was oh, all yeah. we could listen to. We loved yep. it. Yep. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, I'm not in that community anymore. So I can't speak, you know, with hundred percent certainty, but it doesn't seem like there's Christian bands just being pumped out of the woodwork in that like rock, hard rock, segment anymore no and it's a cultural shift and honestly i there's aspects of this shift that are very
1: healthy so i think that when we started there was this sense that like you know parents wanted their kids to only listen to christian music right and it was like the idea was that if your kids like Blink-182, you give them a Reliant (laughs) K or Hawk Nelson or FM static CD, right? It's like, that's what you do. Yeah. And, and, and so there's this Christian alternative to everything, but cultures changed to where like parents are a lot more nuanced and going like, you know, like, well, I'm comfortable taking my daughter to a Taylor Swift show, you know, or something like that. Well, at least until she came out (laughs) and supporting the LGBTQ plus community. And then, you know, maybe that's out the window now, but but yep. <laughs> uh, sam and i will follow
0: taylor wherever
1: yeah yeah so uh blank space for life man that song is still <laughs> like uh, a masterpiece so <laughs> so um i feel like culture changed and and then it became this thing where like well if we're going to think more in more nuanced ways about what music we're listening to we're not just arbitrarily putting things in a category of christian or secular then what that meant is that, is that there was no longer need for Christian alternatives. You know, you could listen to general market bands as long as like, as long as they were in general wholesome and that those actually do exist. So it's like um, the need for bands like Hawk Nelson just wasn't there anymore.
0: So it's uh, actually kind of a good thing, then. Well, I
1: actually think it was a good thing and is a good thing, but it was really devastating for all these other bands that aren't going to be able to play one thousand
2: church shows, hoping they'll make it into the uh, Christian music industry. <laughs> right, right, dude.
0: Right. The dream of getting on like a winter jam show where it's like a punk band, a hard rock band, <laughs> a, a, a random rapper. And then, yeah, a random know, a rap, rapper. I
1: should clarify a random rapper that no one in the architecture of Christian music was interested, <laughs> actually interested in being there. Right. No, it's true because it's true. I mean, like, I literally I had this conversation with a friend of mine, Derek Miner, recently, who's a a, a hip hop artist, and you know, I asked him, like, do you consider yourself a Christian hip hop artist? And he goes. Well, I just consider myself a hip hop artist and wherever that goes it goes, you know, if people want to call me a Christian hip hop artist, that's fine. But I asked him like, dude, did you feel welcomed into the community of Christian music? Huh. And he said absolutely not. Um he 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 said I've I, he's like, you know, the only time I felt welcomed is when once, once I got successful enough on my own. There was a recognition in Christian music that we needed to bring in hip hop artists and black artists. But then, he, then the idea was that like the only way to get successful is to collab with like this, like with like pop artists, yes. all, you know, white pop artists collab with them. And all, and always the collab had to sound more like the sort of pop artist than it did the, the actual hip hop hmm. that they did. And so he, he's he said, he's like, we never, you know, you know, Lecrae, um, Derek Minor, 1D, like all these, all these, you know, sort of Christian hip hop artists. Derek's point of view, and I, I I totally affirm this, is that is that. They the Christian music apparatus did not want black music, but they wanted to participate in the cultural thing that, that was happening. There. A lot of. Like, yeah, that's I could yes, see that's... that for sure. Yeah. That's another one. That's another thing that once you see it, you can't unsee it,
0: you know? Yeah. I never thought about it in those terms, but yeah, there was just never the, the acceptance of, of Christian hip hop. And, and I listened to a lot of it. I had a lot of Christian, you know, rap and hip hop CDs and stuff, but you were never going to get to go see like LA symphony or, yeah, you know, any of those guys that were not like, I mean, You'd run into KJ five too at Winter Jam. But right, that's it. Right. You know? He's safe. He's safe. Right. Right. He's I safe while threatening mm.
1: hip hop. And if <laughs> if if anyone <laughs> wants to make the case that it doesn't have anything to do with his skin color or his, you know, culture, yeah. then mm, uh, yeah. I would disagree. You know. Uh anyway, we did not we did not uh that the you know, that's not necessarily what we're <laughs> intended to get into there. But but I you know, it's one of those things like I, I feel like on the race issue, um, it's something I really deeply care about, because w- once you see it, you know. It's like you can't unsee it. It's the same thing with the LGBTQ plus community. It's like once you once you have relationships with people who are members of these communities that feel marginalized and oppressed and exploited, it's like you you have enough conversations, and and you get to know enough people that are saying the same thing, and you you're forced to go like, I can't look away anymore. And I have to take a look at my life. And in what ways am I participating in this? In what ways am I benefiting from this without knowing it? And uh, it's like the whole fish don't know their wet thing. It's like, it's like I have been existing in this space that's been exclusionary and marginal and, and, and marginalizing people. And I've participated in it and benefited from it. And, and once you begin to see it, you see it everywhere and it's, it's terrifying. It's, 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 uh, it's paralyzing sometimes. Cause I'm just like, what, what, what do I do? I'm one person, you know? Um, and, and I think the answer to that is you search out, uh, w- ways to, to let Which yourself think get used to being uncomfortable.
2: Not to say that there aren't, I don't want to just speak dis- 100% dismissive of all evangelical spaces, but I mean, but no, I know. No, and I don't mean that but either. There was, are so spaces that are addressing before this Before I yeah. say something that will sound possibly dismissive, by and large, I think the evangelical community as a whole is failing at um, race and uh, LGBTQ issues. Um, of course, there are some that are identifying with evangelicalism and and doing some good in and right work in the world so i i I don't want to just paint the broad brush but uh you know one of the things that had um it's like once you start to piggyback off of what you're saying as far as being in spaces that make you uncomfortable uh one of the most uncomfortable things i think we have done as evangelicals former evangelicals is like is losing that form of faith and and having that collapse around you fucking sucked like Mm -hmm. it wasn't fun it was painful it was kind of scary at times and you wonder where you're going to go when you die because you were so convinced it wasn't somewhere terrible but now you don't believe in a terrible place that you think you're going to go to because you stopped believing the right things and it's just not a fun experience to have but what i notice is that a lot of the people who have um, moved out of those circles have realized um have done a better job realizing that where they've tr- kind of missed the mark, uh, and on these issues on, on race and gender mm-hmm. equality and, um, and any.
1: He- yeah. I mean, yeah. For one of the things that's been so cool for me and so exciting, cause I, I, I tend to feel like in myself and others, we're so much more animated by joy than we are by shame, like shame, 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 separates us from ourself, you know, within our, within ourselves, if, if we experience shame, we are both judge and judged, you know? So like shame, shame is not, is not necessarily uh, the most helpful thing we could try to, you know, put on, on people. I think an invitation to more love and more joy is way more exciting. So, so for me, like, I've noticed that as I've I've gotten more comfortable talking about uh, the LGBTQ plus community, talking about and to and with that community um, and, and being more open to saying very publicly like, oh my gosh, I have to affirm this community and I have to support them. And I have to, I, like, I want to loudly be an advocate for this community. As I've done that, members of that community have been unbelievably kind to me. And and what's I mean maybe that's just maybe that's not surprising to to some but to me it's surprising how quickly I've been loved and accepted um, because it wasn't that long ago that I wasn't loving and accepting of them and like if they felt like they wanted to hold that against me I'd feel like they'd be justified in that feeling you know it's like well oh now yeah, now like, you're, damage now is you're done for thanks like, so you much can for, easily you know can
2: come from that perspective.
1: Yeah, I guess we'll just forget about the thirty-five years. Uh, I guess we'll just forget about the thirty-five years that you didn't. You know, like I could understand that feeling, um, and and yet, like I feel like I'm experiencing so much joy and love and acceptance and grace um, from this community that I rejected for a long time. Either even if I wasn't saying it out loud. You know, I, I implicitly rejected them and, and now they, and, and, and as soon as I started speaking in support of them, even a little bit, like, uh, I felt so welcomed in and loved. And I was like, man, that's telling right there, you know? So the thing I tell people, like, if you're a Christian who, uh, who, you know, believes and believes in scripture, uh, whatever, whatever, uh, community you walk in, you know, if you feel in your gut that you want to be loving and supportive and affirming to the LGBTQ plus community, but if you feel like there's some scriptures that are holding you back from doing that, I would encourage you to go read this book, the gospel of inclusion by Brandon Robertson. Um, he's a yeah. friend of mine. He, he, uh, he's a pastor. Um, he, he is uh, a remarkable guy.
2: Yeah, he's done um, some great stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and he he lays out. I very much agree with his argument on what 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 is sometimes called the the clobber verses. There's six verses in the Bible that th- there's only six verses that explicitly talk about homosexuality, and the context in which they they discuss homosexuality is very very important. So um, that's a really good book that I recommend to people because I actually feel like. The majority of Christians that I that I'm close to are incredibly. They really are loving people, um, but sometimes they're caught up in some ideas that I think are not healthy, and 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 I would love to see them freed from some of those ideas, and. Um, And I think Brandon from those
2: ideas. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think (laughs) Brendan's, I think so while I don't identify as a Christian myself for those that do, and if they want to, to learn some information that might help them grow in their ability to love and affirm a community that traditionally is not accepted by Christianity. Um, this is a good, this is a good way to do it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Man, I love, uh, I can't wait to just kind of keep following where your uh, journey and thoughts take you, the people you talk to your, um, your newfound mission of this is what's funny as you know, Christianity was this whole, like we need to save people yeah, kind of institution. And uh, mm-hmm. but what I'm experiencing through people like you and the work you're doing um, who are trying to, to give platforms to people who are trying to say some things that have a hard time, maybe sinking into certain Christian communities, but I mean, really, this is, this is kind of the saving work is, um, giving people the tools to find, um, to find the, I, I guess the piece that you found uh, yeah. on this journey, you know, like, like it's like looking towards Christianity and like these concrete concepts and beliefs and systems to save us. Isn't, isn't enough. Like we're looking, people are really looking for something deep to, dr- like, a to draw from. And, uh, yeah. sometimes we've been given something real shallow and, I, I, so I'm just, I, I love what you're doing, man. To me, this is Thanks more so much. of, uh, of the, the saving type work that, uh, <laughs> I, I would have loved to have seen from Christianity growing up.
1: Yeah. Thank you. That means so much to me. I, I, um, I mean, there's so much I'm still figuring out. So I, I definitely don't feel like I'm an expert on, well, anything actually, but, <laughs> um, but But what I'm finding is the more I dive into ideas of spirituality and um, different perspectives on the world, the more the more I sort of I find myself sort of in awe of the experience of being Um, in in my one of the things that helped me uh, become more open to spirituality after going through a very atheistic phase um, and, and the reason why I didn't remain, you know, an atheist is quite honestly, I just got bored. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I was just like, there's, there's more going on here, uh, than, than, than just, you know, pure reductive physicalism. Yeah. There's a lot of the
2: beauty, the wonder, the, yeah.
1: And and ironically, the thing that really, I felt like gave me permission to start exploring these waters again is, uh, this psychological field of study called phenomenology, Hmm. um, which was sort of spearheaded by this guy, uh, Martin Heidegger a couple hundred years ago. And, uh, or was it? See, I, I see, I, I, I'm not good with timelines actually how long that was may not have been actually, I can't remember exactly how long ago it was, but
2: I resonate with that feeling really hard. i yeah. probably
1: <laughs> phenomenology. I the things yeah. I've probably
2: said on this fucking podcast where I've been like, <laughs> I, I, all I, I, now that we're putting our email out there, I can't wait to start getting corrections about all the right, right. Someone will correct me on all kinds <laughs> of stuff
1: too. But um, no, the reason why it was permission for me is, is because science in general seeks to strip subjectivity out of uh, on our understanding of the universe. So like, like the the scientific method the whole reason that that exists is it's designed to reduce subjectivity and 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 seek out the most objective truth that it can which is a, an incredible tool um but martin heidegger's observation was uh that's good but we don't live there <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> like we live in this field of subjective experience each of us does and our our experience of reality is constrained by our perception and our perception is self-defined. So like uh, a good example of that is like wherever you're sitting right now, there are an infinite number of details that you could focus on in your vision. So like, I'm, I'm looking at a hard drive on my desk Mm -hmm. and there's a bunch of little perforated holes on the side of the enclosure to let air through so that the disc can cool. And like, you know, the formation of those holes, like the, the, the way that they were made, the exact diameter of them, the orientation of like, there's like, there's dust on, you know, little specks of dust. Like there's all these little things. If you were going to paint, if you were going to paint the scene that I'm looking at right now, you could go into ever and ever and ever and ever greater detail and you could never be done. But, but we can't live our lives that way right like there's there's too much information there's way too much information available to us for us to take it all in and process it so we have to constrain that information and we have to decide to take a very very tiny subset of all the available information and live our lives based on that subset and and that is a subjective it's not exactly a choice it's a process that's happening in our mind and that means that literally every single one of us is living in a different self-defined perceptual frame. And so literally experience, none of us are having the same experience in life. It's completely unique. You are very, you know, like whenever you're having, if you're, if you're a Democrat and you're having a conversation with a Republican and you're like, how can you see it this way? Well, it's like, yeah, they're literally not living in the same universe you are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that resonates with me pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: So, so, so th- that led me back to this idea of spirituality, going like, what exists underneath all of that? And that's really mysterious. And it seems to me that religions pop up to tr- sort of try and get at that question. Yeah, And, thanks. and no religion gets it totally right. But you notice there's a lot of overlap uh, between religions. And there's certain things they all sort of share. Um, so like the golden rule, you know, sometimes people credit Jesus with the golden rule. If like treat others the way you would want to be treated. But that exact idea shows up in basically every major world religion. And a lot of them predating Christianity um, all the way back to like I never say this right, but Zoroastrian blah blah, blah whatever that one is. Zoroastrian. Um, um, it's a Persian. It's a it's a Persian religion that's very 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 old. Um, so, so anyway, I'm I'm feel I'm sorry. I'm I've gone on a total rant here, but um, the reason why this is by why phenomenology was so helpful to me is 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 to realize that the subjective nature of our experience it's not just an aspect of our experience it's the whole thing and and um and that means that our our beliefs become embodied in our actions it means mm-hmm. that th- it means that we are as far as the way we are experiencing the world we are creating it at the same time as we're experiencing it um, and I know this sounds like so hippie and weird and all that stuff, but like, but this is like, it's like, this is real, a real branch of psychology. It's real. And so, and so that made me go like, like, okay, I've been thinking of God as a being. I've been thinking of God as like, I'm, I'm a minnow in the ocean and God is a blue whale, right? God is the, God is the biggest thing in, in the ocean. I'm the small thing, but Maybe God is not a blue whale. Maybe God is the ocean. And and then you and then you think about, you know, even a fish, any animal life is made up primarily of water. So the ocean is in the fish too. And 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 God is just the whole thing. And and instead of God being this being, that's aligned with goodness and against evil maybe there is this thing there's this being and not a being but being itself capital b being the experience of existence there's this field that we're all in and and it 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 penetrates and and uh and and it's the thing from which everything arises and it contains creation and destruction and joy and sorrow and peace and hurt and healing. And, and the whole thing is be like being is the whole thing. We're already here. And so like Christianity often gives us a problem, you know, it says you have a problem and, and we can give you the solution. And what I'm so freed by is the idea that we are already here if you're looking for God we're already in it it's 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 right here so go hug your kids you know <laughs> go like go go on a date with your with the person that you love um go go have conversations with your friends um like bask in the richness of of experience of being um and that's if anything is sacred that is sacred if anything is holy that is holy and um and i'm fine using religious language because sometimes it's the only language that that it's the only language that works for the things we're talking
0: about that's true yeah and i think like at a very surface level looking at that that you know studying those types of things if all it does for you is is allows you to recognize that a reasonable rational person because of their very different experiences can arrive at a different conclusion than you then that's you're you're halfway there anyways yeah you know and that's the that's i think at the core of the problem that we have as a society right now not necessarily evangelicals but really all of us is is just the the lack of empathy due to the fact that we just don't recognize that other people's experiences have led them to other rational conclusions, and that they don't have to be like mutually exclusive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, you can leave room for other people's thoughts and feelings and stuff like that. On it, you don't know, maybe you don't agree with them, and that's fine. But like, mm-hmm. there's, it's okay for them to have a space and to think that they're, you know, to think the things that they think, and for you to recognize that those may be true. You know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, yeah. I'm not explaining myself well. No, but. you're
1: doing great, man. You're doing great. It's like, it's like, I feel like I grew up being told that the good news was that you're bad, but God is good. That's mm-hmm. the good news. Right. Right. And, and for me now the good news looks more like, like goodness. It's like you you're in the whole thing you're already here you know um and and like we don't need to we don't we don't need to rely on this sort of artificial um dualism um like like relax uh relax like there's there there's there's definitely i mean life contains sorrow there's no doubt um, but it also contains joy and it seems like those two things are inseparable and I don't know why that is I don't know why um, I don't know why we're we're bound to experience them together mm-hmm. um, but for some reason we are and um, and and I just the way I look at it now is like we are free to in, to enjoy that experience and it and the richness of it and the multifacetedness of what it means to be. And um, man, to me, that's the good news, you know? Yeah.
2: And it sounds like you want to like uh, finding that for yourself. Uh, it seems like that's what you want to be able to help other people find that freedom. I mean, we were, we were given, we were sold a freedom um, our, our entire lives. And if you find freedom in that, it, and it, it has positive results in the world. That's great. Uh, I push back on suggesting you found your freedom, but having your beliefs create, um, negative, having negative implications on the yeah. people around you. So, and, and I'm sure we all, obviously we all level on that, but when you're looking at like how to find peace and freedom and it, in in this experience and with the lives that we have in the things that we have to do just to get through them like yeah there's just so much more than just um ascending to like a ascending to just a set of beliefs like there's so much more to it and it sounds like that's really what you're trying to tap into and
1: i love I, it i feel like for a lot of us we were we were um we were we were given bondage labeled as freedom yeah that's such a good way to put it yeah
2: yeah it felt like it's like this it didn't feel like freedom it felt like you were captive to these to this little box it's like this this box is freedom and if you go outside of it it's death
1: well and what it does is it it teaches you it teaches you that you are bad that you can't trust your body. You can't trust your desires. You can't trust your gut instincts. You can't trust your uh, your intuition. You can't trust your feelings. All of those things are lying to you, right? And then what you need to trust is like, you need to trust truth, capital T truth. And here's, here, let me tell you what truth is. Uh, like when people say to me like, well, Jesus is the truth. I'm just like, do you even know what you mean when you say that? Like, what does that even mean? Uh, and so like, Uh, whenever people talk about it in those terms, I'm just like, you don't even like, like I, I, I gladly would give you 10 minutes to explain to me what you mean when you say Jesus is truth. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I now that, and this is coming from someone who like, I'm deeply fascinated with the person of Jesus. I've, I've actually never found Jesus more compelling than I do right now. Um, but It's like the thing that we've made him into, uh, it is, it is, man, it is, it is not, I don't know even what it is because it has so many layers, you know? Um, so anyway, we could talk about this for ages. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: man, John, this is, um, it's been such a fun conversation. We appreciate you coming on and joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Getting into these things. Uh, this is, uh, this has been a really good time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let me know when you post this and I'll, I'll like, I'll blast it out and repost it and all that. Yeah. Stuff.
2: yeah. That'd be awesome. Yep. That sounds
1: great. Well, um, everyone,
2: um, go ahead. Do you want to plug your, uh, anything you got going on, John? I oh you, yeah. Your podcast, That's a but...
1: thing we do. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I have a, uh, podcast and a YouTube show called the wonder and the mystery of being, and there's new episodes every Friday. Um I've been pretty enthusiastic about it recently so I've actually recorded too many.
0: <laughs>
1: so so uh so I'm intermittently I'm going to be releasing two a week here and there but that you know won't necessarily be the norm. Sometimes I speak with people who uh are consider themselves Christian, sometimes I speak with people who do not. Um but it's exploring the space between belief and unbelief. Um, I don't typically ask people where they lie along that spectrum before we have a conversation. We just have a conversation and, um, yeah, we get into some of the same stuff that we've talked about here. Uh, and, uh, the best place you can check that out is well, anywhere, you know, for podcasting, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, it's out there. It's called the wonder and the mystery of being. And it's, uh, it's also on YouTube. If you just search my name, John Steingard, you'll find it and then i'm on instagram uh at john steingard twitter at john steingard and those are probably the best places to come and find me
0: yeah definitely recommend uh definitely recommend the youtube version though there's some cool like visual elements to it and uh cool definitely thank you. check out the uh the grace baldridge episode uh, yeah
1: it's one of my favorites for sure
0: it's fantastic yeah. sweet thanks well, guys thanks a lot john it was great meeting you it was great to chat with you guys too All right, everybody, we'll see you next time.